The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Do you remember what you wanted to be or who you wanted to be when you were a kid? So when I, I was a kid, I wanted more than anything else in the world to be like this guy, Dale Murphy. And Dale Murphy was an outfielder for the Atlanta Braves. And as a kid in Southern Mississippi, I loved baseball. And if you loved baseball, when I was a kid in the 80s, you watched the Atlanta Braves because you could see them anytime on Superstation TBS. And you had two choices, uh, the Cubs or the Braves. And I wanted to be like Dale Murphy. He played right field for most of his career for the Atlanta Braves. Um, he was a National League MVP one year. He won the Silver Slugger Award, which is like the best hitter at that position four years in a row. He won the Golden Glove five years in a row. And everything in my life, I wanted to be like Dale Murphy. I played baseball like Dale Murphy. I wanted to bat fourth in the lineup like Dale Murphy. I wanted to wear the number three like Dale Murphy, but I couldn't because back then we didn't get new uniforms every year. We just had like recycled uniforms from the year before and nobody ever had the number three. Um, I think someone stole it because they wanted to be like Dale Murphy. And so everything in my life was to grow up one day and to be like Dale Murphy. And it wasn't just like a pipe dream. Like I played baseball and I was actually really good. And the teams that I was on were really good. We went to state championships, played states, uh, teams from other states all of the time. We ate and slept and breathed baseball constantly, constantly, constantly. The guys that I played with, who I was better than, went on and became professional athletes. One guy, um, Terrell Buckley, won a Super Bowl with Green Bay, and I was better than him. <laughs> we called him Buckwheat when we were kids. And I remember really clearly listening to my dad, who was um, my coach for a lot of those years, talking to his uh, assistant coach, a guy named Wayne, about the prospect of any of their great players actually growing up and becoming a professional athlete at some point. And I overheard my dad say, you know, of all the kids in America playing Little League, maybe one in a thousand will play professional baseball. And I heard that and I was absolutely crushed. He might as well have said like one in a million. And have you ever had that feeling? You ever had that moment where something that you dreamed about, like that's not just a dream deferred, like that's a dream derailed forever. That's never going to happen for you. And so I bet some of you have had that experience, right? Where you were really good at something, you were a really good athlete, maybe a really good musician, an actor, there was something that you wanted to do. And then you went off to an audition someplace or you moved to a big city, or maybe you went to college and you got there and saw what the scene was like there. And you realized there are other really good people too, and they were better than you. And it wasn't gonna be like you hoped it would be. 
that life doesn't turn out the way that you wanted it to turn out. You don't end up being or doing the thing that you really wanted to be or do the thing that you really wanted to do. And there's such a depression that comes with that. And you don't really know how to hold that or where to go or what to do next. And it gets really problematic when all of that gets spiritualized. So when I was 19 years old, I heard the story of a guy named Bill Wilson. And there are two really important people named Bill Wilson. One of them started AA. That's not the one that I heard. I heard the story of another Bill Wilson. And this Bill Wilson was abandoned by his mother on a street corner in Florida when he was 12 years old. And after waiting for his mom to come back for three days, um, he was found um, by a Christian businessman who fed him, connected him with his church, and they sent him uh, to this Christian camp. And it's at that Christian camp that Bill Wilson for the first time heard about Jesus and decided that um, he was going to give his life to God, to doing great things for God. And that's exactly what he did. He went back, he grew up, went to seminary, decided that he was going to work with the poor. And so he moved to New York City and began working with street kids and started what was, I think, the very first bus ministry in America where churches would come alongside and walk with kids who were living on the street. And he started this church, Metro Church, and they were all about people who were homeless and kids who were addicted to drugs. In the first three years that Bill Wilson was there working on the street, um, he was robbed, he was stabbed multiple times, he was shot. And at 19, listening to Bill Wilson's story, I thought, man, that's what following Jesus looks like. That's what following Jesus is supposed to look like. Um, I want to go do something like that for God. Only there was a big problem. I wasn't Bill Wilson. I didn't have Bill Wilson's story or some of his interest. I didn't have his skills. And there were, there were some places where there was an overlap, like I could connect with people about kind of growing up poor. But by the time that I heard Bill Wilson's story, my dad had finished his doctorate. My mom was an accountant. I was at a private Christian university. Things had changed a lot in my life. And I didn't know, how am I going to do that? Plus, I really didn't want to live in New York City. And you've been there? Have you had that experience of wanting to do something really great, something meaningful and beautiful with your life? And you hear all of these inspiring stories about people who've done amazing things and how God's done incredible things through those people because they made some choices and they did some things and they became this person. And then you look at your life and you got the same traffic to sit in, a mortgage to pay, you've got kids who need new clothes, braces, new shoes, new shoes, new shoes. I have two daughters. It has been 15 years 
of new shoes for school, new shoes for ballet, new shoes for tap, new shoes for jazz, new shoes for this dress that I'm going to wear one time to this formal at my school. It's always new shoes. And you see all of that and something inside of you feels second rate or like a sellout. And there are other people who are out there doing something really great. But you, you're just stuck with this life that you have. And some of the things that you have are the result of your own choices and you wouldn't necessarily go back and change those things. Like you chose to major in that and start that career. You chose to live in this place and all of that comes with a certain level of responsibility, certain things that you have to do, but it's still your life and you are just there wondering how in the world with the realities of my life can I do something great? And if you've ever felt like that, I want to introduce you to one of my friends, and her name is Therese of Lisieux. And I want to encourage you, one of the best things that you can ever do with your life is make friends with dead people. Because dead people can be inspiring, um, but they are not critical of you at all. So here's what we're going to do, Ecclesia. Over the next several weeks, um, Pastor Chris and I are going to walk you through some of the people from church history that have been extraordinarily meaningful to us personally, but more than that, more than their meaning to us personally, but people who have shaped um, who we are as a community and what God did from their life. And, and hopefully you will see in all of that what we'll discover together is how we came to be the people that we are. And not just what we've done or what we're doing, but how God is leading us into the future, inspired by some of these people. And one of those people that has been extraordinarily meaningful to me is Therese of Lisieux. And the reason is because she has got one of the craziest, weirdest, oddest stories. But everything that she committed herself to, everything that she did in her life was simply about love. So she does have a unique story. Um, When her parents met... Her parents decided her dad wanted to be a monk and her mom wanted to be a saint, but they got married. And because they wanted to be these things, because that's what they felt like they were called to, they didn't consummate the marriage until a priest told them that that's not how marriage works. And so in a brief period of time, they decided to make up for lost time. So over the next 15 years, they had nine children, and Therese being the last. But in that time, the five children born immediately before Therese all died. And when Therese was born, she got really sick, and she almost died. And she recovered and got a little bit stronger. She was always, for the rest of her life, a little bit physically weak. And when Therese was four years old, her mother died of breast cancer. But when she writes about her childhood, she says that she had an idyllic childhood and that everything about her childhood was surrounded, was enveloped with love. 
So as um, a very young adult in her teens, she decided that she wanted to do the thing that her sisters had done, her older sisters had done and become a Carmelite nun. But she was too young to become a nun, so she had to petition the church. And they said no, and though she petitioned the next level of the church. And they said no, and she petitioned again, and again, and again, until it got to the Pope himself. And the Pope said, no, you're too young. They must have thought that she was something like a Jedi, and you have to wait to a certain age. But she was so distraught and wept that the church decided if it means this much to her, then we'll let her become a nun. And so she moved into the convent with her older sisters and became a Carmelite nun. She was a cloistered nun. And this is actually where the problem begins for Therese, because when you're a cloistered nun, that means you're not going anywhere. Like you're secluded for the rest of your life. But she felt the same thing that her parents felt, and maybe the same thing that many of us feel, that we want to do something unique and special and meaningful with our life, that we are in fact unique in the universe. But here she was, stuck, stuck inside the convent. And she was hearing stories about missionaries who were going around the world and evangelists who were reaching out to new people and sharing Jesus with new kinds of people. And that's what she really wanted to do with her life. But this was the life that she had. Like this is where the path of God had taken her so far. And what do you do when you want to do great things? but this is the life you have. This is the life of carpool. And this is the life of grocery shopping. And this is the life of being mad at people on Facebook. What do you do? when you want to do something great, but your life feels so small. Well, Therese kept a journal, and this is what she wrote one day in her journal. She says, I feel within me other vocations. I want to do something else. I feel the vocation of the warrior, the priest, the apostle, the doctor, the martyr, I feel the need and the desire of carrying out the most heroic deeds for you. And that's what she wanted to do. Like she wanted to do something heroic, but she couldn't. And this is really particular to Therese because what she really wanted to do more than anything was be a priest. That's what she really wanted. And if she had been born a male, if she had been born a boy, she would have been a priest. So even becoming a nun is a concession. But how do you have those dreams for God in the very real life that you have? Well, one day, as Therese was doing her morning Bible reading, she came across a passage in 1 Corinthians where Paul is talking about who we are as a people. 
And it's one of those things. This is why you should really read your Bible because even though you think that you're not looking for something, God will bring something up. And oftentimes when God brings something up, he's trying to get something out. And when Teresa is reading her Bible in 1 Corinthians, she reads this. She says, it says, each believer has received a gift that manifests the Spirit's power and presence. Each believer, that's everyone, everyone has a gift. So let me ask you, are you included in everyone? Are you included in everyone? Who is excluded from everyone? Every believer, everyone has a gift. And it is unique and particular to you. And it's not just that you have a gift. It's that this gift is animated by the Spirit's power and presence. That you have a supernatural gift. And it's not anything that you've done to attain it. Like you're not special because you have it. Because you believe that God has given you a gift and there aren't just particular people here or there who have a gift, that you have a gift. And Paul writes this more fully. He says, each believer has received a gift that manifests the Spirit's power and presence. That gift is given for the good of the whole community. The Spirit gives one person a word of wisdom, but to the next person, the same Spirit gives a word of knowledge. Another will receive the gift of faith by the same Spirit, and still another gift, another gifts of healing, all from the one Spirit. One person is enabled by the Spirit to perform miracles, another to prophecy, while another is enabled to distinguish those prophetic spirits. The next one speaks in various kinds of unknown languages, while another is able to interpret those languages. One Spirit works all these things in each of them individually as he sees fit. Just as a body is one whole made up of many different parts, and all the different parts comprise the one body, so it is with the anointed. So this is really important to understand. So if you were here last week, um, Pastor Chris talked about the idea of what church is. And the tradition that I grew up in, the idea in our tradition to say that you were going to church, like was laughable. We actually made fun of people who said that they were going to church because we knew very deep down, it was embedded, it was in our marrow, that the church is the people. We even had language about this. Like when someone went to a worship service, we never said you were going to church. If you just went up and there was a youth group meeting, you had to go do this, we said you were going to the building because we knew that that place wasn't church. And that church wasn't a place where particular things happen with particular people on a particular day. And what Paul is saying is that the church can only be the church when it is a gathering of believers who are expressing their unique gifts. So you've probably heard of this phrase, the priesthood of all believers. 
and we believe deeply in the priesthood of all believers, that there are not any of us who are more valued and more valuable than anyone else, that we are all in this together. And when, and when I check out, when you check out, when we leave, when we go to something else, we are taking our gifts from the body that was supposed to be used in the body. And the beauty of that is, not only do you have a gift, that no one person has all the gifts. And so this, this happens quite frequently. Like someone will come up to me um, after we're done worshiping together and they will be in a season where they really need someone to walk with them and to listen to them and to sit with them. And I will say to them, oh, you need to talk to Pastor Mike or you need to talk to Pastor Paul or maybe you need to talk to Pastor Mitzi. And I feel like, and I think they feel like they're being kind of pawned off. But let me tell you, if you got a situation where you need someone to listen to you, I am not your guy. That is not my gift. And the way it works is that all of us express our gifts and we all have different gifts. But the problem becomes when we decide, I don't like my unique gift. I want his gift and I want her gift. I want their gift because their gift looks like it pays more. And Paul keeps writing and he says this, what if I speak in the most elegant languages of people or the exotic languages of the heavenly messengers, but I live without love? Well, then anything I say is like the clanging of brass or crashing symbol. What if I have the gift of prophecy and blessed with knowledge and insights to all the mysteries? And, or what if my faith is strong enough to scoop up a mountain from its bedrock, yet I live without love? If so, I am nothing. I could give all that I have to feed the poor. I could surrender my body to be burned as a martyr. But if I do not live in love, I gain nothing by my selfless acts. So Paul says, with all of your gifts, even if you don't know what your gifts are, you don't like your gifts, you think you don't have a gift, the most important thing is love. And you don't have to have a gift. You don't have to know what your gift is. You don't have to like your gift. You can want someone else's gift and still love. So one day, Therese is reading 1 Corinthians and she comes across this. And this is what she writes in her journal. She said, I finally had rest. I understood that if the church has a body composed of different members, the most necessary and most noble of all could not be lacking to it. And so I understood that the church had a heart and that this heart is burning with love. My vocation is love. 
One of the things I love about St. Teresa is that she is the first official queen of the caps lock. Like, I did not add those. That's how she wrote it. <laughs> Therese says, my vocation is love. Which sounds very spiritual and romantic and like there should be some wonderful orchestral music playing in the background. But that's not what it looked like for Therese. What it looked like was in her convent, doing all of the jobs that nobody else wanted to do. Cleaning the bathrooms, doing the laundry, it meant seeking out the nuns and the novices who were excluded, who were shy, and befriending them. It meant eating last. It meant eating leftovers and all the things that nobody else wanted. That's how she expressed love. As a matter of fact, as she was about to become a full nun and move from the novice stage, her older sister was named Prioris of the convent. And this was a really touchy issue because of all of the nuns in that convent, four of them were sisters, the Martin sisters. And the rest of the nuns thought, um, this is going to be a problem because she's going to be in charge and then those sisters, that family's going to run everything. And so Therese's older sister came to her and she asked Therese to remain a novice, not for a little while, but for the rest of her life. And she said, yes. Therese writes in her journal, she says this, miss no single opportunity of making some small sacrifice, here by a smiling look, there by a kindly word, always doing the smallest right and doing it all for love. She wanted to do great things. She wanted to be a priest. And she makes a concession and decides to be a nun. And even that is taken away from her. And her response to that is to never miss an opportunity to make some small sacrifice. Therese died when she was 24 years old. And she considered it a blessing to die at 24 because if she had been born a boy at the age of 24 was the moment, the age she would have had to have been to become a priest. And she saw it as God's grace to her to not have to live the rest of her life in pain. And they began to call the way that Therese moved through the world as the little way of making these small, 
daily sacrifices. The little way. And so when she died at 24, her sister took her journals and kind of edited out part of it and then sent it around to um, Catholic churches and convents. And it became a book called The Story of a Soul. And The Story of a Soul talks about how we shape the world and become all that we need to be, all that we are destined to be. by small acts of love. It's called the little way. It's the little way of letting the car in before you. The little way of doing the chores when it's not your turn. The little way of not having to have the last word the little way of keeping your mouth shut in that meeting, the little way of not saying the thing that came to your mind to say, the little way of not complaining, the little way of not expecting a thank you. So years after her death, 28 years after her death, Teresa was made a saint. And this little book, The Story of a Soul, later found its way into the hands of another revolutionary named Dorothy Day, who changed the world through the little way. And years later, it found its way into the hands of a woman named Teresa, Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who took her name from Teresa of Lisieux and organized a system of caring people around the little way. And it's Mother Teresa who says that we are not called to do great things, but we are called to do small things with great love. And now, Therese of Lisieux is a saint of the church, and she was made a doctor of the church, which is the highest office you can get, and she is one of four women who are doctors of the church. Isn't it amazing how you can become everything you ever dreamed that you wanted to be? by doing little things with great love. Ecclesia, let me pray for you. God, give us eyes to see all of the things that we overlook in our hurry and our rush to do and be great, to be esteemed and acclaimed, to be unique and special to not be vulnerable, but to be powerful. Let us see all of the things that we miss as we are on our path to do those things and to embrace them in all of the drudgery because they are changing who we are and shaping our world. And so we ask God that you would give us eyes to see 
eyes to see what you see, and in every daily interaction, in every choice, to ask ourselves what's the most loving thing that we can do, and to do it with great will for your great world. And we ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.